And it reads this. It says, now Thomas. Somebody say, that's me. Come on, somebody say, that's me. Called the twin, one of the 12 was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my fingers in the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. He said, I don't care what you saw. If I don't see it myself, I won't believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors being shut. Somebody said the doors being shut. This isn't the message, but I just got to take a moment here. The disciples were locked in a room, fearful for their own lives. And the Bible says that Jesus just stepped through the wall and was in the midst of them. Hear me, there is no fear, there is no depression, there is no anxiety, there is no worry. There is nowhere you can find yourself locked in that Jesus can't step into that situation. So he stepped right in and stood in the midst and he said, peace to them. I got to clock back, I got to preach. Some of us think if we encountered Jesus, he would say, how could you? Why didn't you? Where have you? Here's Jesus's first words to you. Peace. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hand and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those in 2021. Blessed are those in Columbia. Blessed are those in BWI. Blessed are those who are in Baltimore. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Father God, we declare what a beautiful name it is. Death could not hold you. God, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we've gathered on this day to celebrate not just who you are, but who you are in us. God, we know that you're in this room, God, for this moment to speak to us, to take us one step closer to the perfect plan, the destiny that you have for us. And we preemptively make the decision that when you speak, we will obey. The matchless, mighty, perfect name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen and amen. Can somebody shout amen? Come on, BWI Baltimore. Somebody shout amen. This is week one of a brand new series we're starting called Savage Savior. Somebody say Savage Savior. And if you're new to Union Church, one of the things that we do is we preach in sermon series. What's a sermon series? A sermon series is a four-hour message that's broken up over four to six weeks. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. You know, preachers, we could be a little long-winded. So we say, hey, let's not do it all at once. Let's kind of break it up over a number of weeks. So I encourage you, make sure to come back next Sunday as we continue this idea and this thought of a savage Savior. As I was preparing for this message and just thinking about how I can illustrate the opening point, here's the thought that came to me. Everybody has scars. Like, it's pretty much impossible that you're gonna get through life without some type of scar on your body. 
There's somewhere where your skin is bubbled up. There's somewhere where there were stitches before. There's some mark on your body. And some of them are just really small and really insignificant. Some of our scars are so small, we don't even remember where they came from. Maybe it was just you rushing around and you burnt yourself on an iron or whatever it may be. Maybe you got a mosquito bite and you just scratched it too much and it, and it turned into a scar. We all have those scars that we don't remember. But most of us, I dare say all of us, have at least one scar that comes with a story. Come on now, it's summertime. We're about to take these jackets off, short sleeves and all this other kind of stuff. You're starting to see, wait, where did that come from? All the winter tattoos about to be revealed in June. <laughs> a lot of us have these marks on our body. Like, hey, where does that? Boy, there, there's a story to that. I remember growing up just as a boy. If you kind of just grew up as a boy, just outside, just getting into trouble, scars were something, a source of pride. I have a two-year-old son named Roman, and my wife's eyes, she didn't grow up with boys in the house. So she's not used to how boys live. Listen, if Roman's not bleeding at least once a week, he hasn't lived. Like, this boy is just daring. He's one of those kids that he'll jump off of the sixth step, and he'll shout, Dad, catch me, after he jumps. I'm like, oh, 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 I ain't dropped him yet, though. I kind of grew up the same way. I'd come in from outside, knees bloodied, and my mom would just like, she'd just patch him up and send him on back outside. I actually have a scar down the back of my leg from when I used to play soccer. Came in for a slide tackle, cleats up the way that you're supposed, that's not, you're supposed to, it's illegal, but he caught me. I actually had more yellow cards in soccer than I had A's in school, but that's a difference. Don't say amen to that. The, the scar that I'm most proud of is actually right here on my back across the shoulder. It's a scar that I got on Easter Sunday playing football out back behind my dad's church. You got to understand, pastor's kid, we got dressed up. We had our Sunday vest on and our suits and all this other good stuff. But someone snuck a football to church. We did the best we could. We sat through the whole message. We waited for the benediction. May his face shine favor upon you. And as soon as my dad said amen, we were heading towards that door like, you got, let's go. Jackets off. And I mean, we had full out. Full. It started off as two-hand touch. But as we got a little competitive, as it started going, it turned into full tackle on the cement. We're bumping into people's cars. And I got this tack. I didn't get this from someone tackling me because they couldn't touch me. I got this, actually diving, I mean tripping, I mean diving, <laughs> and catching a one-hand catch. There was no end zone. It was by the third coat, which was the first down. I was so proud of that scar. It bled through my white shirt. I was like, Dad, ouch. <laughs> Others of us, though, we have scars that don't come with good stories. Hey, what, what, what happened to that? And it takes you back to that car accident, to that moment of trauma, to that regret, to spring break in 1998 where that scar wasn't by accident. You paid somebody with a needle and some ink to put that scar on your arm. I'm gonna get this name off of me. <laughs> I realized some of our worst scars aren't on our physical body, but it's scars on our heart, scars on our faith, scars on our soul.
I dare say it is impossible to have made it through this panoramic or whatever we want to call this thing over these last 12 months and not come out a little bit scarred. The problem is for so many of us, scars have turned from something that we're proud of to something that we cover up. And some of us have become experts at covering our scars. Not covering our scars with makeup and clothes, but covering our scars, our emotional scars with accolades and egos and titles and net worths and, and, and here's what I've accomplished and here's what I've done and over-accentuating one area of our lives so we can hide and cover the fact that there's scars in other areas of our lives. In this passage that we were reading, it was eight days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You got to understand, I think Jesus was busier after he rose from the dead than before he rose from the dead. He was in that tomb for three days. The Bible says that he won victory over hell, death, and the grave. He went down to hell, said, Satan, give me those keys, and walked up. I got the key, I got the key, I got the key. Anyway, pastor's not that ratchet, pray for the pastor. But he didn't just grab the keys and go back to heaven. He had to hang around the garden because there was a woman there by the name of Mary Magdalene. And he had to wait because she had so lost her faith and, and was wondering, just lost and bewildered. And Jesus came. It's not till he called her by name that she realized this was her savior. She said, Rabboni. I think Easter is the time when people hear Jesus call them by name. Maybe you felt invisible. Maybe you felt overlooked. Maybe you felt like nobody knows you. This is the day that you are going to hear the Holy Spirit whisper your name in the most personal way possible. It was after this that Jesus found himself leaving Jerusalem on the road to Emmaus, not because he wanted to go, but he had to get some disciples that had given up on their purpose. That it said, I can't face another disappointment. The Bible says that as Jesus was walking with them, they did not realize it was Jesus. Hear me. Do you know that you can be in the presence of God and not even realize that he's there? You could be in church where he says, we're two of you. If you'll show up, I will be in your midst. And you could be confused and think it's just a normal Sunday. And it says they walked and it's not until they sat down and broke bread that their eyes were open and they realized that Jesus had been with them the entire time. And in that moment, he disappeared. They said, did our hearts not burn as he unpacked the hope of scripture Amen. to us? It was during that moment that Jesus stepped through the wall into his disciples and he said, peace be on. He breathed on them. So receive my peace, receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The only problem is there were only 10 disciples in the room, not 12. Judas had taken his life. I think Judas is another story that we miss on Easter. That sometimes we hold things against ourselves that Jesus never holds against us. Do you understand that if Jesus, Judas had come to Jesus and said, please forgive me for betraying you, Jesus probably would have said what Joseph said to his brothers. This was not of your doing. This was of the Lord so that many might be saved. Don't count yourself out because Jesus never has. But Thomas wasn't in that room in that moment. Later on, Thomas hears, hey, Jesus is alive. We saw him. And Thomas said, I don't want to hear it. 
I have been disappointed so many times in my life. I've had my hope up only to be disappointed. Hope up only to be, this person disappointed me. This person disappointed This, and now Jesus, I won't believe unless I put my finger in the hole in his hand. Now the church, we're a little little hard on Thomas. We've renamed him Doubting Thomas. You know where there's nowhere in the Bible where they, they call him Doubting Thomas? The church gave him that name. There's something about people that will name you for your worst day, that will define you based on your worst mistake, and won't define you the way that Jesus defines you based on his grace on the cross. You can't be so hard on Thomas because you have to understand there were rumors that were swirling around. The Roman Empire had paid the centurions to say that they fell asleep and the Jews had stolen Jesus' body. There were people that were going around saying, see, I told you he wasn't real. You see, what kind of Messiah would die? He was a fake. Thomas said, with all these rumors swirling around, I refuse to have a secondhand relationship with Jesus. I wonder how many people are in church every Sunday, but yet we have a secondhand relationship with Jesus. I wonder how many people we lift our hands, we read our Bibles, we say we believe in Jesus, but in actuality, the Jesus we believe in is not a Jesus that we've met for ourselves. It's the Jesus that grandma told me was real. Baby, you got to surrender your life to Jesus. Jesus is good all the time. Yeah, well, this is the same grandma that told me if I part my hair down the middle, I'll catch a cold. So I don't even know if I can really trust anything that she says. Thomas said, I'm not taking anybody else's word for it. I must touch him for myself. Here's what I've discovered. A secondhand relationship with Jesus may have you tuning in online. It may have you sitting in church on a Sunday, but it won't get you through crisis. A secondhand relationship with Jesus won't get you through a season when there's a strain in a relationship and you're looking around for something that's normal. A secondhand relationship with Jesus won't get you through a health crisis or a job loss. A secondhand Jesus won't get you through life. Can I preach? It's just like the... This last 12 months of our entire life being disrupted, I think have exposed so many people. We believe in God. Church may even find me in there once in a while. The reality is it's a second-hand relationship. I have three, three quick questions, three quick questions. We're going to be out of your way. Only like two more hours of this message is going to be good. It, it, <laughs> 12 people just ran, well, okay, pastor, calm down now. I mean, it ain't that good now. It's... I have three quick questions that I need you guys to write down. If you could pull your phone out, grab a pen, grab a paper. If you could write this down, just humor me. It's so important to take notes in church, by the way. Statistics show that you are 74% more likely to make it into heaven if you take notes in church. <laughs> Listen, I'm your pastor. I love you. I'm just trying to look out for you. You want the best shot that you can get. By the way, 84% of statistics are made up, so you can take that first one. Here's the first question I need you to write down. Which savior have I met? Which savior have I met? Come on, Baltimore. You ever been in a situation where someone told you a place was good? 
Maybe it was a restaurant or a food spot or whatever. Oh man, you got to go here. And based on their recommendation, you got in your car, you used your gas, drove 45 minutes of your life that you will never get back based on their recommendation only to find out the food was trash. I still need healing in my heart over that one. I'm kind of bitter about it. You ever, you ever had someone tell you about something and they made it sound like it was amazing? And then when you actually experienced it yourself, not so much. It actually happened to me and my wife on our first date. Now, we have a little bit of an argument. It's not a little bit. It's a big argument over what our first date is. She'll get up and preach sometimes. She'll tell the wrong story. She thinks our first date was at Double T Diner on Route 40. Our first date was not at Double T Diner on Route 40 because I'm not that type of guy. I got a little bit more class than to take you to a diner on the first date. That wasn't the first date. That was just when I was asking her to be my girlfriend. The first date was the next Friday when I picked her up from Lanham, Maryland. If you're not from Maryland, you don't know where Lanham is, let me help you out. It's right past Samaria. Where's Samaria? It's right past the Elephant Graveyard. It is it's out there. Drove all the way to Lanham, picked her up. Then I drove her two hours to the destination of our first date, which was Philadelphia. Come on now. I don't just build churches. I, I Pulled her up to the Liberty Bell. We didn't park at the Liberty Bell to see some cracked bell. We parked there because that's where the horse-drawn carriage was waiting on us. This was the first date. You better use that anointing. By the way, the first date was in December. Pastor, why in the world would you go outside and have a horse-drawn carriage in the middle of December? Because I ain't no dummy. The only place you could be warm was right here, babe. Come. <laughs> Pray for me. We in that carriage. She all snuggled up next to me like, oh, this is amazing. I said, I know. After the carriage ride, then I took her ice skating. Fellas, you got to listen to this. This is, this is mastery right here. You see, when you take a girl out for the first time, she try to play you. Like, you got to prove to me you're worth it. So here's what you do. You get her off her game. Put homegirl on some ice skates. See if you keep your lashes on then, huh? She, she was out there like... <laughs> I was like, I got you, I got you, I got you. We went to this Cuban restaurant and it was, I mean, it was set up. Someone had told me that there was an area in Philly called Love Park where there's like this nine foot sign that is, says love, it's in red. Maybe you've seen it before, it's like L-O stacked on top of the V-E. And I had all this planned out. We were going to go to the Cuban restaurant, walk in the cold about three blocks to Love Park where I was going to tell her, baby, I love you. <laughs> Pastor, on the first date, hey, we had known each other for two years. It was real from the first time. So I had this all planned out. We get into Love Park. I'm going to be honest with you. I would love to rename that park because it wasn't really Love Park. 
It was more like like park. More like I think I'm feeling you park. Because when we get there, there was no nine foot sign that said love. It was this, this, this little stilts with this little platform. I'm not exaggerating. That love sign was about a foot tall. I said, is this what we drove for? Night ruined. I'm like, I mean, we went in that little dinky little sign. I said, babe, I love you. You know what this chick said? She said, thank you. What kind of disrespectful trifle? I spent hundreds of dollars to tell you I love you. you said, thank you. Like I opened the door for her or something like that. You ever in a situation where someone told you about something? And they told you, they hyped it up, and then when you experienced it yourself, it wasn't all that. Some of us are living off of a Jesus, not that we've met ourselves, but that somebody else told you he was. Some of us have rejected a Jesus that is not real. It's just a figment of somebody else's imagination. Some of us have accepted a Jesus that is not real. It's just what someone told you he was. I think one of the Jesuses that are made up that we've accepted that's not real is what I call the angry judge Jesus. That's the Jesus that's just waiting up in heaven with a big stick for you to mess up. Just following you around, waiting for you to drop a four-letter word or whatever. Ah, boom. Say something else. You know what? Blown tire. That's what you get. This is the type of God, not that you run to, but you run away from. This is the God the nation of Israel believed in. And by the way, many people who believe in angry judge Jesus, it's because they had a negative experience with authority here on earth. You see, the first God that Israel had ever encountered was Pharaoh who told them that he was God. And Pharaoh had no desire for their outcome. Pharaoh used them to build his empire. So they had a perception that God doesn't care about me. God doesn't care about my future. He's just out to build his own thing. So then God comes to Israel and said, hey, meet me on the Mount of Mount Sinai. I want to reveal myself to you. And Israel said, oh, no, we don't want nothing to do with it. Send Moses up there. And if Moses lives to tell about it, then we'll hear it from him. This started what I call the man of God syndrome where people who have the Spirit of God inside of them pack out churches by the millions every Sunday to hear some man or some woman tell them what God said instead of you going for yourself. God says, you don't need a mediator. I desire to go to you directly. So you've believed in angry judge Jesus and you've been avoiding him at all costs. Not understanding that's not you who Jesus is. The Jesus that we know is the Jesus that said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I will give you rest. He said, I am gentle and humble of spirit. He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'm not an angry judge. I'm a righteous savior. Some of us have put our faith in or rejected what I call British blonde Jesus. <laughs> That's usually the Jesus you see on every painting and in every movie. He has some white flowing garment. There's birds that just rest on his shoulder, lambs that are dancing at his feet. He is walking through dusty Jerusalem, but it's still white as snow. It makes no sense. 
And I wish I had a British accent, but I'm like, Jesus ain't from England. Why are you always British in the movies? That's the Jesus that is hard for us to connect to because that's the Jesus that just wants good for everybody. I mean, love your neighbor as yourself. Even if the little demon dog keeps pooping in your grass, just do good to everyone. That's the Jesus I can't relate with because that do-gooder Jesus is so disconnected to the pain and reality that I live in. That's the Jesus that the world asks, if your God is so good, how can a good God let bad things happen to good people? Not understanding that Jesus is not a a do-gooder who floats above the ground. And he's not a God that lets bad things happen to good people. He's a God that as bad things happen to good people, he's right in that moment, it happening to him. Pastor, that doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry, it won't make sense until you have children. But every parent can tell you, when my child hurts, I hurt. When my child goes through pain, I go through pain. When I watch my child suffer, it's as if I am suffering in that same moment. Not as only did God experience pain as a father, but the Bible says that he took on all the pain of the world all our guilt, all our abuse, all our pain, all our turmoil. It was so overbearing to him in the Garden of Gethsemane. It says from the stress that he began to drip blood because of the weight of our experience. He didn't leave you. He was right there with you. Some of us have believed in what I call homeboy Jesus. Yo, 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 yo. Yo, me and Jesus, we like this, man. Like, like he the big man upstairs. Can I just help you out? I'm just just tired of all the interviews. Listen, if you call Jesus the big man upstairs, I'm not betting on you in the end. I just, that's like calling your parent by the first name. Like, you lucky you still alive. Somebody else's parent. You know, Jesus hung out with sinners. Jesus hung out with prostitutes. Like, like Jesus, no, I ain't perfect. I mean, I, 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 I cuss sometimes. I, I wild out sometimes, but you know, Jesus, he's still cool. He's still cool. Hear me. The Bible says that Jesus is a friend, but he's also the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's also the great I am that I am. He's also the one who was and is and is to come. He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's Emmanuel with us. He's the God that looks at dead things and calls them alive. He's the God that holds the hearts of kings and turns it into flesh. He's the God that calls things that are not as though they are. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's not just my homeboy. Here's what Jesus said. He said, there's so many people that are going to church on Sunday that are going to say, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I raise the dead in your name? Didn't I cast out demons in your name? And here's what Jesus is going to say. He said, depart from me. I never knew you. He didn't say you didn't believe in me. He said, you just didn't know me. This will mess you up. Do you know it's possible to believe in Jesus and not know Jesus? It's actually pretty simple. I believe that there is a LeBron James, the greatest of all times. Sorry. (laughs) Prophesy. (laughs) 
I just have never met him. The Bible says there's a lot of people that believe Jesus is real. You've just never met him. Can I mess you up even more? Baltimore's like, no, you can't. This is enough. Well, I got the mic, so let's keep going. The Bible says even demons believe in Jesus. It says not only do they believe in him, but they reverence him. It says they tremble at the name. Every time I read that verse, I think about Lion King. Remember when the hyenas were like, Mufasa. <laughs> Mufasa, Mufasa, Mufasa. The Bible says demons believe in Jesus and they tremble. It's not just enough to believe that he's real. Do you know him? Second thing I want you to write down is this. Which savior have you met? Have I met? The second question is, which savior or have I met the savage savior? Pastor, why would you call Jesus savage? Seems a little irreverent. Seems a little disrespectful. I don't, I don't like the way you call Jesus savage. Well, here's why I'm calling Jesus savage. Because I'm tired of the picture of Jesus that we're painting. We're painting a picture of Jesus that's a pacifist, that's this non-confrontational, meek, mild, I'm not looking to start any trouble. The only problem is I read my Bible, and that's not the Jesus I see in the Bible. The Jesus that I see in the Bible is the Jesus that walked into the temple and got ticked off because they were charging people to worship God. He went in there and found out that they were actually discriminating against the poor. They were making people buy sacraments to be able to worship God. And if you couldn't afford it, they would kick you out. So they were showing favoritism to the wealthy. And that Jesus, he began to flip tables. Could you, this is the ultimate mama verse. The Bible says that he braided a whip. You got to see this moment right now. Jesus looking at the, don't you go nowhere. That's authority. Were you sticking around for a beating? That's what, done. <laughs> the Bible says he turned the temple upside down. He was aggressive. He was violent at times. He was a savage. I believe Jesus was a savage because after he rose from the dead in that tomb, he rolled the stone away. The angel's like, we out, let's go. Jesus said, one second, I gotta fold my clothes. What kind of savage folds their clothes on resurrections and it's your resurrection? He said, hold on one second. Gabriel's like, this is the Messiah? Here's why he folded his clothes. Because when you go to a restaurant and you're going to the bathroom, you're coming back down. What do you do? You fold your napkin and you put it on the table to let the waiter know, I didn't skip out on the bill. I'll be right back. Jesus was folding his clothes to let him know, I didn't skip out on you. I'm coming back for you. You're going to catch me riding on a white horse with eyes like fire and a tongue like a double-edged sword with grace and truth across my chest. He was sending a message, I'm coming back for you. Jesus was so savage, he said, don't get it twisted. They didn't kill me. So you can't kill me. I'm creator God. He said, you didn't kill me. I laid down my life. Somebody say, prove it. I love when y'all say that. John chapter 10 verse 17 says this. Therefore, my father loves me. Come on, BWI. Because I lay down my life that I may take it again. He said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up. 
Jesus was a savage. I think one of the most savage things Jesus did was to leave the scars in his hand and in his side. See, when Mary Magdalene in the garden went out to reach Jesus, he said, hey, don't touch me. I have not yet gone to the Father and received my glorified body. Apparently, he was supposed to go to heaven and report to his dad, job well done. But when he comes to Thomas eight days later, he allows Thomas to touch him. So evidently, he had received his glorified body. Jesus went to heaven and got a a custom-fitted, tailored, glorified body just for himself, but he made the decision, hey, leave the scars. I I don't mean to divide or anything like that, but this is going to be a moment that if you grew up in church in a certain type of church, you're going to relate, and the rest of y'all are going to be like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Anybody grew up? going to K&G Men's Warehouse before Easter. This, it may not be a lot of you. It may be a couple of you. Come on, just, just raise it proud. Come on. If you don't know about K&G, K&G was not a uh, men's and women's suit store. It was the only one that you went to pre-Easter. We had this Easter traditional, me, my dad, and my three brothers. We'd go to K&G Men's Warehouse. We wouldn't go two weeks before Easter, though. Because going to get a suit for Easter two weeks before Easter required no faith. We live by faith, not by margin. So we went and got our suits the Saturday before Easter Sunday. Because, I mean, the adrenaline starts pumping. It's just a little bit more exciting when you're elbowing ushers in the face and say, sorry, I'll say hi to you tomorrow, but that suit belongs to me. We'd go in there, we'd grab our suits, and we'd go to the back where the tailor was. And I'd feel so bad for this tailor. Easter was like the worst day of his life. He's there hemming up suits and pulling people in and tucking them in and scotch taping them down. And my dad, my dad was just bold. He'd walk right past the line, right up to that tailor. Hey, hey, can you get our suits done today? And tailor, no. No, like, do you not see this line? He'd just go in his pocket and start counting 20s. Are you sure you can't? (laughs) Next thing you know, we up on the little stand and the tailor's jerking me around and and fixing this and hemming my pants and all that. I always always said, Dad, I I don't want to hem in my pants. I want a cuff. Steve Harvey has a cuff. Bishop Jakes has the cuff. All the bishops have a cuff. I don't want want a cuff in my suit. My dad said, if you want a cuff, pay for your own suit. I couldn't pay for my own suit. It took me a few years. I remember that first Sunday, that first Easter, that I said, Dad, I'm going to buy my own suit this Easter. I went and got a suit, bro. You got to understand. It was like four sizes too big. You could fit four. St- I think they have a picture if they have. Can you throw that picture up if y'all have it? Look, look. You can't tell me nothing. Leaning up on my rich uncle's Benz. I was. You could take it down. That's embarrassing now. Take it down. Take it down. Okay. You couldn't see because it was a three-piece suit, but that tie I had on, it stopped right here. Because you needed the knot that was so big, you might not live through Easter because it was choking you out the entire time. I mean, I was feeling, I had a tailored suit for Easter. But so did Jesus. He had a tailored, glorified body. And I could just imagine him standing there in heaven as those angels tailored that suit. So those eyes of fire, yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, yeah, I'll take the skin like bronze. Yeah, yeah, I'll take the tongue like a double-edged sword, but leave the scars. Angel whispered to 
Jesus knows we can remove the scars, right? Like, he's Jesus. We can get rid of scars. No, no, no. Leave the scars. I think they got like the boss angel, Gabriel, one of them. Listen, Jesus. Like, I know you've been on earth and you might forget who you are. But you're the king of kings, the Lord of lords. What king have you ever seen with scars in his hand? It kind of makes it look bad. Jesus said, no, leave the scars. Because there's a man named Thomas that unless he sees these scars, he'll be lost forever. And I got to make sure that there's evidence on me that I am who I say I am. You got to understand how supernatural Jesus' scars were. Did a little bit of research and I discovered that it takes 21 days for a wound to become a scar, for the process to begin. It can be up to two years before a scar is completely formed. Jesus is redone in three days. Because his scars, after encountering the Almighty God, he has a way of taking what the world says should take for years could be done in a moment. Those parts of us, that trauma, that setback, that, that, that fear, that, that victimization that we've experienced, that they said, hey, you'll never get over this. No, one encounter with Jesus. He said, I could do for you what my father did for me. Jesus said, hey, it's okay if you're not like Peter and John. And by the way, if you're a Peter and John Christian, God bless you. If you're one of them people that just off of a story, you run two miles to the tomb and you stick your head in, God bless you for the Peter and John Christians. God bless the Mary Magdalene Christians that just hold on to the edge of his garment. You be saying Hebrew words like Rabboni and you don't even know what that means. But I think this Easter is for the Thomas Christians. This Easter are for the people that I'm just tired of playing church. I'm tired of living off of a secondhand experience. I'm tired of pretending like I know that he's good when honestly I haven't experienced his goodness in a long time. If I don't touch him myself, I won't believe. Jesus said, leave the scars because if they don't see my scars healed, they may never believe that I can heal their scars. You see, like me, some of us, we've spent so much of our life covering up our scars that we haven't even realized that we haven't been hiding our scars from people. We've been hiding our scars from Jesus. And Jesus said, how can I ever heal what you won't reveal? And you think that is the greatest tragedy you've ever been through. But actually, it's the greatest opportunity for God to prove himself to you. That he's the God that turns trauma into triumph. That he's the God that turns victims into victors. He's the God that takes the rejected and turns them into the rejoicing. He gives beauty for our ashes. You call him a savage, and I get that, but what's with the Savior? Because yes, Jesus was savage, he was aggressive, he was violent, but not against you and I, but against anything that can keep us from experiencing the fullness of God here on earth. You see, the Bible says in order for your and my sins to be forgiven, all Jesus had to do was die. 
So if all he had to do was die, why the cross? Why the crown of thorns? Why the spear in the side? Why the humiliation? Why? Because Jesus didn't come to die just so that you can make it to heaven one day when you die. He came that heaven may invade earth and that you can experience heaven here on earth. He said, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we'd hear Jesus hanging on the cross and he said, give me that crown of thorns. Press it into my skull. Because I want to break the curse of mental torment off of every single person that would come to me. I want to break the curse of all worry and anxiety and fear and depression. He said, I haven't given them a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. The Bible says that when they stabbed him in the side with a spear, that blood and water came out. The only way blood and water would have come out is if his heart had ruptured. You see, Jesus didn't die from the cross. Jesus died from a broken heart. He said, I'm doing this to break the curse off of anyone that's heart has ever been broken. But I'm the God that has the power to take broken things and make them whole. Says he was hanging on that cross. He said, I thirst. They ran and they got some wine but they thought it would be a funny joke to play with them on the cross. So they took the wine and they mixed it with vinegar and they dipped a sponge in it and they lifted it up to him on a staff and he drank from that sponge. He drank wine and vinegar laying on that cross. Biblically, wine represents love in the Bible, but wine mixed with vinegar represents adulterated love or abuse. Jesus said, I'm breaking the curse for anybody that has been abused in their life by people that were supposed to. You see, he wasn't just about us making it into heaven. He was savage. He was aggressive against anything that can hold on to us, the scars that keep us from walking in the fullness of who God's called us to be. Last thing, write this down. We're going to land this plane. Which Savior have you met? Have you met the savage Savior? And after meeting the savage savior, what should my response be? You see, our response cannot be based on who we are, but it has to be based on what we're reacting to. And there's, I'm getting trouble, that's okay. You know those people that did a little skittish? Yeah, you know what I mean? If you're one of them, just look straight ahead, act like it's not you. The people that like, you open the door. Whoa! I didn't see you there. You didn't see me walking through the door? <laughs> the response has to match what I'm reacting to. And my pursuit of God is based on the God that I think I'm reacting to. So if I'm reacting to angry judge Jesus, avoiding him and running away from him is an appropriate response. Except that's not who he is. If I'm reacting to blonde British Jesus, saying that he doesn't understand what I'm going through makes sense. Except that's not who Jesus is. If I'm a responding to homeboy Jesus, being cavalier with sin and getting to church whenever I get around to it, and you know, he know my heart. That makes sense if he's your homeboy. 
But that's not who Jesus is. He's a savage savior. He's the one that knew every scar you would encounter before you ever encountered it and made certain on that cross that it could never have an eternal effect on your life. Job said this in Job 42.5. He said, I had heard about God with the hearing of my ears, but now my eyes see him. I'm not asking, have you heard about Jesus? But have you seen him for yourself? Y'all remember doubting Thomas? That everybody said he was the last one to the party. You know what happened to Thomas after he put his finger in Jesus's hands and put his finger in the scar on his side? Thomas became the most radical disciple there ever was. Historians and theologians believe that Thomas took the gospel further than any other disciple. It's because of Thomas preaching personally in India that the gospel made it to present-day India. It's because of Thomas that the gospel ever made it to China. Why? Because the person that had the most greatest and the most intimate encounter had the most passionate response. You see, our response is predicated by who we believe Jesus to be. As we close today, I'm asking that you would grab that connection card that you got on the way in the door. If you don't have it, it's in the seat in front of you here in Columbia. And wherever you are, you could just lift your hand and a host will bring you one. I'm asking every single person, every leader, if you can grab this card. If you're watching online, text connect me to 474747. And we're asking that you would respond. Every other week, it's called a connection card. This week, if you look at the top, it's called a response card. Because what Jesus did for us on this Resurrection Sunday, it demands a response. The third question on the back of that survey, it has three letters or four letters, A, B, C, D. What I'm asking is that you would pick one and Say, this is my response to who Jesus is. The first one, A, says this. A is, I already have a real relationship with Jesus. I don't just believe in him, but I know him. I'm a Christian. If that's you, praise God. My only question for you is, does your pursuit of Jesus match in intensity with his pursuit of you. The second one B is this. Pastor, today I'm making a decision to put my faith in Jesus. Maybe you're like me, you grew up in church. Boy, I was in church so much. Jesus wasn't even some of them services. Oh my God, why'd you leave me here? I played drums, I played keys, I played bass. I went to church, I just never knew the God of the church. To that moment that I said, Jesus, I don't give you my Sundays. I give you all of me. If you're that person, I've been given Jesus Sundays, but I've never given him me. Indicate B on that card. C, C is this. C is, pastor, I need more time. I'd like to consider this a bit more. I'm not anti. I just, I just need a bit more time. If that's you, if you see, that's fine. Indicate that. Hear me. There's nothing wrong with that as you're, as you're seeking out God, as you're pursuing him. But, but, but here's what I'm asking. 
that your pursuit of God would be in the church, not outside of the church. Like, you don't say, hey, I need food, so I'm not going to go in the supermarket. I'm going to stand outside. So if you don't look for food outside of the supermarket, why would you look for God outside of the church? Like he said, this is where I am. He said, if my people will gather, I'm going to show up and hear me. Union Church is a church where you don't have to believe what we believe to belong. You don't have to believe in Jesus. Keep coming to church. Keep, keep working your faith out. And then D is this. D is going to sound weird. It's my favorite, and it's not for many people, but if you're bold enough to indicate D, go ahead. And D is this. I don't ever intend on making that decision. I have no intentions of surrendering my life to Jesus, and if that's where you are, indicate D. We've been doing this for years. We get thousands of cards back, and every year there's about a handful of cards where somebody indicated D. I'll never forget the year where I was looking through the cards and someone indicated B, but they wrote a little note on it. They said, Pastor, last Easter, I was a Muslim and I indicated D. And this Easter, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus. So I just want you to know, if you indicate D or you can click that on the connection card, and those cards end up on my desk. And I'm gonna pray for you by name and ask that God would prove himself to you. At every location, I'll give you about 10 seconds. If you could just go ahead and indicate on that or connect me to 474747. And when you're all done, if you could just bow your heads, just let me know you're done. We'll pray and we'll close out. I want to take a moment and pray with those that are indicating B. You said, I don't just want to believe in God, but I want to know him for myself. I want a real relationship with God. Well, here's the deal. Jesus already made the invitation on the cross. He's just waiting for our response. Not only response is, God, I surrender to you. So if you're making that decision right now, wherever you find yourself, BWI, Baltimore, watching online in this room right now, can you pray this prayer with me? Matter of fact, can we all pray this together out of encouragement of those that are making the greatest decision ever? Say, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for seeing me. Thank you for wanting me. Thank you for dying on the cross so that all of my sin, all of my mistakes can be erased. Today, my response is surrender. I give you my life. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church. Can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest? Come on, let's put our hands together.